everybody. Welcome into Cover 4 Live. I'm Brandon Adams. Got Jeff Sintel, Connor Riley, Mike Griffith. First time in a while we've had the entire team back together for a Cover 4 Live broadcast. Uh, happy to be able to do that tonight. Obviously, good reason to be doing it here on this Thursday evening. As we look ahead of the national championship on Monday, Brock Evans checks into our Facebook comment section to say four more days. I found myself, and I mentioned this on Dog Nation Daily this morning, that Jeff, for me, the reality of what's about to happen, I think probably set in today more so than it had early week. I think when you're traveling a lot and you're kind of transitioning from one game to the next, or you're used just used to the in-season grind where there's always another thing coming up. I think finding your way to the last thing takes a little bit of time to get used to one way or another. This is the last game that Georgia's going to play in 2021 on uh, Monday, taking place here in the early stages of 2022. The reality that a national championship game is about to take place Jeff, for me, I think that became quite quite real in my mind uh, here this morning and still feeling that way here tonight. Brandon, I think the word you, you nailed there was reality. I mean, we all had our thoughts on this team and this program coming into the year, and most thought if you make the playoff and maybe if you make the national championship game, that's certainly a bona fide success. But no matter what anybody out there thinks about a rematch and how they're going to stop Bryce Young and get to Jamison Williams and pressure and all that, folks – Georgia's playing for a national championship on Monday, and I think that's a lot of lost. That's that's lost on a lot of folks that hadn't happened quite a lot around these parts. Hadn't happened quite a lot, and since some of these panelists have been alive, so uh, for me, everybody's going to go in this thing and think this and that and the other. But Georgia's going to put the ball on the ground on Monday, and they're going to have a chance to win a championship when that game's over, and it gets me really excited. So one of the ways I want to preview this tonight, and it's, it's always kind of fun when we do this, is, is to give some bold predictions for the game. Coming up in a moment, I have a very specific bold prediction that I'm going to make. I shared this with some of our video audience in Dog Nation Daily today. But, uh, Connor, I want to start with you, if for no other reason, that I can always depend on you to, like, follow the premise of the topic. So um, let me have uh, a bold prediction to get things started here for what you expect to unfold Monday. Connor, On Monday night. There you go. Monday night, uh, which classifies as a bold prediction because he only has, I believe, two and a half sacks on the season. But I thought he was great against Michigan there. There's some questions about the health with the right side of this Alabama offensive line. And I, I think Nolan is a guy who has played at his best and biggest game this season. You think the Florida game, you think that the Michigan game there in the college football playoff semifinal, I think he's a guy who has a chance to make a real impact on this game on Monday night. So my bold prediction, give me Nolan Smith with two sacks in the game. I love That is a great poll prediction and it's a great way to get started. And Mike, for me, you know, to see Connor's prediction come true would certainly feel poetic in that. I don't know that anybody spoke more forcefully this week than Nolan Smith did about what a national championship would mean for him personally, what it would mean for Georgia. Nolan, I think has had a very good second half of the season, if not a very good Georgia career, but certainly he's been, uh, you know, quite effective here, here as of late, I would say, and if, if he is able to follow up what was as powerfully voiced a narrative as could exist about, you know, the opportunity to break this drought and win a national championship, if he could follow that up with the kind of statistical performance that Connor was just mentioning, uh, that'd be quite a, a night indeed for Nolan and the kind of thing that could very well be the difference between winning and losing because we know how absent that pass rush was the last time these two teams play. Yeah, they just couldn't hit home, you know, eight quarterback pressures, but no sacks and, you know, I guess the trade-off is <clears throat> you get great postseason play for Nolan, but you might have lost him because I think you might go pro now uh, with these last uh, couple performances, especially if Connor's prediction proves correct that he has three sacks. My prediction is that Stetson Bennett is going to rush for 50 yards. Uh, his career high is 41. Um, you know, I think this is a game where, where Stet tucks and runs more often. Uh, when the play breaks down, instead of trying to make a play, uh, throwing it into coverage or or scrambled throw. I, I think this is the kind of game where Stetson puts it on the line. There were a couple of opportunities the last time they played Alabama where he could have tucked it and gained good yardage. Um, I, I think so. I think Stetson Bennett, and in fact, guys, I'm just getting ready to publish the story on Dog Nation right now. Uh, I, I think Stetson Bennett's feet, something Kirby Smart has talked a lot about, hasn't really lived up to if you look at the hard numbers, but I think he loves up to it on Monday night. And I think his feet are going to be a difference maker for the Bulldogs. Jeff, I wouldn't mind seeing Bennett run a little bit more. I mean, it is something I think he did well. He did it very well against Michigan. I mean, he was really very impressive with his legs against Michigan. And 
uh, you know, I hope Mike's right about that. I hope that Bennett does run the ball a little bit more because I think in in combating what Alabama is going to throw at you, you have to have a lot of non-traditional, you know, you know, uh, kind of I guess counters back to that, which means you got a thousand tight ends in the field, you got multiple running backs in the field, you got a running quarterback. You're just kind of doing it every sort of way that you can, literally throwing the kitchen sink at Alabama. And in my mind, Jeff. A little bit of running from Stetson Bennett is, is certainly would be a nice additive thing for the Georgia game plan on Monday. Yeah, I mean, it's funny how Bryce Young was so elusive and got away from all those Bulldogs. And that's certainly some of the same things that Stetson Bennett can do right there with his legs. Uh, I think that's going to have to happen. I think Georgia's going to have to manufacture some additives through the run game a little bit. Um, I, I guess when we're talking bowl predictions, Connor got kind of kind of he kind of teed up part of mine. So I'll let, I'll let that one stay in Connor's box over there to the side. Uh, I think, I think Brock Bowers and George Pickens are going to combine for three touchdowns. That's what I think is going to happen there. I think uh, it's an either or type of poison pill there. And I think, I don't think Saban was saying those things about Brock Bowers simply because he he's like, all right, we're going to shut that dude down. We know all about him. I think it's because I think Brock Bowers is pretty much uncoverable right now. Everybody saw the comments from Greg Olson recently where Greg Olson made the comment that he thought Brock Bowers would be a first-round pick right now if he came out after his wow. freshman year. And that's an NFL tight end that knows a lot about that position. Uh, I, I really think he's a special player. We saw Dax Hill today announce himself that he's going to go to the NFL after his great uh, season there for Michigan. And, you know, Dax really had a hard time staying with uh, Brock Bowers as well. And I think that's what I'm looking for. I think – Subset prediction, Connor, I was going to go that Georgia gets four sacks on Bennett uh, on on Monday night. And I think uh, that two and a half, two, two sack total you were thinking about right there, I think that's a good one. All right, so let's deal with both of what Jeff has to say there for a moment. Let me start with the offensive part of that. And, Connor, I like Jeff focusing in on the notion that, that Pickens could get a touchdown, possibly two. I like the idea of focusing on that for Pickens more so than I like I know going back to the SEC championship game, I think you talked about total number of snaps or, or you know, total number of catches that maybe some people kind of want to gravitate towards. This is, in my mind, is still a guy that's been away from football for a long time, and he was clearly on the field a lot um, against Michigan. I think he's earned the right to try to have, have a chance to come up with a big catch in this game. But, you know, I don't see Pickens at this stage of his injury recovery, at this stage of his return to football after being away for a while. I don't see him mirroring what Brock Bowers did the first time these two teams play, which is catch 10 balls. But could I see him getting a touchdown? I, I think I probably could see that because Pickens has always had this dynamic capability to, to make a big moment happen, even on a small, limited basis opportunity, going back to his freshman year of 2019. You know, you throw the ball in his direction, he just sort of has a little bit of a penchant for, for making big plays. So if you want to focus in on the possibility of Pickens getting a touchdown, I sure do like that conversation right now more than I like the discussion about how many total number of catches that he has because – to me, Pickens is still a little bit of a short-term proposition in a game like this. That that you want Georgia to you know succeed better in the red zone in this game. You know, five possessions in the red zone last game, seventeen points. Four possessions in the first three quarters where they only scored ten points. Georgia has to be better there, and I think one area where they that could help them there is George Pickens getting involved. He's not the George Pickens we saw in twenty twenty or twenty nineteen for that matter. So you need to be selective with how you use him. I will note his one catch in the game against Michigan was a key third down catch, a contested catch yeah. where he had to labor a little bit. Look for him in situations like that rather than over the course of the game. I, I think given he is coming back from this injury, you want to see Pickens be used situationally here. I would add another name there, John L. Washington, who had a red zone touchdown catch in that first game there. You know, in the flow of the game, in the flow of this Georgia offense, you know, the, 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 the reps for Pickens, the receptions for Darnell Washington aren't really there with the way this offense wants to operate. But when they're in the red zone and they have those opportunities, I think those two guys, and I will include Brock Bowers in that conversation as well, are the guys to really look at and say, hey, these are the guys that are going to turn three points into seven points for us in the red zone. Connor, let me follow up with you on that just for a moment, because I've been saying that I sort of feel at this point in time now I know what I'm getting from Brock Bowers on Monday, but I need – somebody else, if I'm a Georgia fan, to give me a similar level of performance. I'm not talking about so much like touchdowns right now. I'm talking about just, you know, just impact in the game plan, you know, 10 catch the way that Bowers had before. And while I, you know, expect Pickens to get a chance to do something, I expect Darnell Washington to there as well. They're not really my 
guy to answer that question here right now. Who do you think could most closely provide something similar to the kind of dependable target over and over again that Brock Bowers has turned out to be? If I ask you to whittle it down to one name, who would your name be? Answer is James Cook, and I think everyone, including Alabama, knows that, and they're going to try and take him away in this game, which is why I'm going to go with Jermaine Burton. Had the big touchdown catch against Michigan, has made plays against Alabama before, and is a guy on the outside. Alabama, again, their cornerback, Josh Job, will not be playing this game. Jalen Amore Davis dealing with a hip injury. You know, his his status is questionable at best for this game. Alabama's going to be on their third and fourth string cornerbacks in this game. Look for Jermaine Burton to try and take advantage of that on the outside. Now, Stetson's got to get him the ball, and he's been much more comfortable operating in the middle of the field than outside the numbers. But I think Jermaine Burton is a guy who, as we saw against Michigan, can make those sort of explosive plays and put up a really impressive game for Georgia here. So, Mike, Connor hit on my two guys. It's clearly Bowers at number one, and for me it would be Cook at number two. Who, do you would, who would you say would be Georgia's second most effective pass-catching weapon in a game like this? It's Pickens. Um, you know, George has got a big catch radius. His preparation time was limited. Um, obviously, he had some COVID quarantine issues going into the Orange Bowl. Uh, you know, you mentioned the third down catch. Stetson's not going to throw him open uh, like other quarterbacks can. But the good news is, is George can go up and get it. And we did see that in the SEC championship game uh, on the, the jump ball that, that Stet popped out there deep and, and George is able to go up and get that between two defenders. Uh, I, I wonder how much Alabama will attempt to uh, control Bowers versus contain Bowers. Of course, Bowers health is a little bit of a question mark for me. Um, you know, Kirby says he's been injured all year. Uh, Kirby also said that he got injured a couple weeks ago. Um, and Kirby also said that he could have gone back in the game. So there, there's been three different uh, Kirby smart explanations on one injury here. And uh, I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful that Brock is healthy. I do think he's the main go-to target. Obviously, he was targeted 16 times uh, by Stetson the last time these teams met, catching 10 of those passes for 139 yards. I think he's still the go-to guy. I think Darnell is a guy they'd like to get the ball to. Connor mentioned he had a nice red zone. Um, didn't he have a touchdown in that yeah. last in that SEC championship game? I could see Darnell. And and to Connor's point. You know, your defense can't cover everything, B.A., and there's no such thing as a defense that does that. So I I do think that the running backs, um, Cook, McIntosh, will once again be utilized as receivers out of the backfield. I think if you're Alabama, that's kind of what you give up is those throws underneath. You don't want to get beat deep. Um, So if if we were going to talk about target numbers, I would say one Bowers, two Cook, uh, and, and I would say three pickings. I, Burton's there. You know, he can get the deep ball. Um, and, and I might keep an eye on Kyrus Jackson. He made a pretty nice grab over the middle, and he used to be uh, Stetson's uh, crutch last year. He was kind of the go-to control guy on those short intermediate passes. So those would be the four primaries uh, to me. Jeff, there was some criticism in the SEC championship game of, hey, Brock Bowers has this great game. Maybe Georgia's throwing to him too much, 10 catches as I alluded to a moment ago, do you think it's better for George in this game on Monday if Bowers has fewer than 10 catches? Jeff, you're muted. I do not, actually. I think that um, targets are going to have to go to Bowers because he's the guy that's going to get the most quickest and easy separation in a in, in an avenue where Stett's going to feel comfortable throwing him that ball. Uh, let's face it. George's offense if we had a you know round table right now and said who's George's MVP right now for the season I think there'd be a lot of consideration that goes towards Brock Bowers folks this is a national championship game you're going to hear those SEC those national television commentators talk about SEC football they're going to talk about how many former how many future pros are in this football game how many future NFL guys are in this football game I think we're going to look back and Probably going to be about 20 on each side at least. They're going to be on, on both of these football teams. And I think you got to go got to go with guys that I think are NFL players. Uh, I like Darnell in that conversation you guys were talking about. Uh, I like Lad McConkey, folks. Lad McConkey's a guy that also gives you some really good uh, separation. And, folks, every time I watch Lad McConkey, he might be not be the biggest bulldog out there, but he is a dedicated and a willing blocker. He, he gets on his guy, man, and he moves that dude around. Uh, and I'm going to echo something else. Uh, 
I think it's going to take a big game from a guy like Kenny Mack in a lot of areas, Kenny McIntosh in a lot of areas, because I think he's probably playing as well as any Georgia running back is right now. Uh, but I also think it's just got to – I think it's simply put, I think it's got to be the biggest game of, of, of James Cook's career for the Georgia Bulldogs. I really think that's got to happen. Go ahead, Mike. Well, I, you know, that that's a mouthful from Jeff to say it's got to be the biggest game of James Cook's career when you've got, you know, a veteran like Zamir White for the short yardage uh, and the early down runs. And, and Kendall Milton is a guy that could emerge. I guess I'd want Jeff to elaborate – on why this game would have to – I mean, Cook had 132 total yards against Michigan, Jeff. Are you saying he's going to need even more than that against Bama? I think he's going to have to play and show that spark that he showed against Tennessee where he's not just a guy that can move the chains. He's a guy that can put up explosives. Let's remember uh, what was maybe the one shining moment of the Georgia-Alabama game in Tuscaloosa. That's the big long ball to James Cook. You talk about guys that have had success against Alabama, guys that can prove they can get it done. I think this is James Cock, James Cook with a really big confidence game. And remember, folks, I, I hope you guys are watching the same guys I was. Uh, James Cook was running inside a lot uh, against Alabama and also against Michigan in these last two football games. Sets up really well because this is a stretch where Cook should be rested and healthy and ready to go and kind of take some of that pounding when these games matter so much. So let me go back to what Jeff said at the beginning of his comment a moment ago. I agree with him that, yes, I want Brock Bowers to have 10 catches again. If he could have 12 catches, I'd want him to have that because that's how good I think he is. And it goes to something that B.A.'s Cardigan, my buddy, in the comment section brought up of, you're crazy if you think Nick Saban's going to get fooled twice uh, by Bowers, that he's going to take him away here in this game. And look, here's the thing I think you got to understand is that – Saban already knew how good Brock Bowers was the first time these two teams played, and Bowers still had the game that he had. And certainly Michigan had to have been aware of uh, what Brock Bowers is capable of doing uh, to them. And then, you know, first drive of the game, he's catching a wide-open touchdown. The most amazing thing to me about Georgia in these last two games, even though one of them was a loss, is the fact with the entire world knowing that the ball is coming to Bowers, Bowers is still having great success. I attribute some of that to Bowers just being a really good player, and I attribute that in the Michigan game of Todd Munkin coming out of the gates, calling something that certainly had the appearance to me to be a perfect game for quite some time. Is is Connor? That's what it kind of comes down to to me. Is is that is that even with the entire universe knowing that the ball is going in Bowers' direction, he's still coming up with big catches, and you want your best players touching the ball as much as they possibly can. And Bowers is clearly Georgia's best offensive player, regardless of position. This game, Georgia is going to have to come out and they're going to have to, on offense, play the Georgia brand of football we've seen all year. That means I, I, I do think spreading the wealth around, it, it's something we saw in that game against Michigan to an extent, you know, hitting Jermaine Burton for a big play, hitting James Cook for a big play, Adonai Mitchell for a big play. And then Brock Bowers, his usual dependable six catches for 68 yards. You know, can you get that up to, say, 7 for 80 in this game? I, I think so. I, I just think Brock Bowers is that good in the middle of this Alabama defense, as we saw the first two time these two teams played, just isn't capable, in my opinion, of really covering Brock Bowers on an every-down basis. But, again, you have to do what got you here in the first place while also adding in a few wrinkles. It's, it's an interesting chess, mass, chess match, and we're going to see the winner of this game is going to be whoever does what they do that got them here the best. You know, before the game the show began, Jeff Sintel asked us a question about, you know, what's going to be more important, a big game from Stetson Bennett or limiting the big game from Bryce Young? And it kind of goes back into the other bold prediction that Jeff gave a moment ago, which is that Georgia would have four sacks uh, in this game on Monday. And, Mike, to kind of tie into Jeff's other bold prediction and the question he asked before the show began, I don't think there's any doubt in my mind that limiting Bryce Young in this game is more important than whatever you get from your offense, although you do have to have something offensively if you're Georgia. The reason why I feel that way is this, is that Bryce Young's the Heisman Trophy winner. That's clearly Alabama's strength, especially when you pair him from the ball to James and Williams. That's clear, clearly Alabama's strength. Georgia's strength is obviously defensively, best defense in the country, one of the best defenses in recent memory in college football, if not the greatest of all, all time. That, that debate could be had. So in a lot of simple language, this game on Monday – becomes about which of these two strengths, the passing game for Alabama, the defense for Georgia, which of these two strengths gets a chance to dictate the way in which this game is played. The first time they got together, obviously, was the Bama throw game. that kind of dictated the tone of the game all night long. Uh, I, I think this time around, the, the path to victory for Georgia, I believe, begins with the Georgia defense asserting itself and really setting the tone for how the game is going to be played. 
Yeah, and that's going to start with them stopping the Alabama run. And, you know, one of the factors is Brian Robinson is healthier than he was the last time he faced Georgia. I think he was probably 70 75% coming off of a pulled hamstring against Auburn. Uh, certainly didn't show any effects uh, against Cincinnati, uh, you know, going for, gosh, I'm trying to, I, I don't remember the final. Yards. Yeah. 200 yards. Yeah, a, a lot of that was uh, Cincinnati had a, a very conducive front for rushing. They played that 3-3-5. We know that Georgia uh, is, is pretty stubborn with the run game. They're going to try to shut that down. And uh, I thought Alabama kind of got out of the run game quick because Georgia jumped out to a 10-0 to lead at the end of the first quarter. It wasn't like, you know, Georgia didn't have a lead and had to play behind all night. They didn't, really. It was still 24-17 at halftime. And, um, so to your point, uh, Alabama, if they could, you know, just like Georgia, they'll, they'll run it all night if they can. But if – Georgia can put them in difficult down and distance situations, same way for Alabama. It kind of becomes which quarterback can do the most on, you know, third and seven, third and eight. Is it going to be Bryce Young able to complete those passes, Brandon? Will the Georgia get to him? Georgia defense get to him? Will the eight quarterback pressures turn into the seven sacks that they had against Michigan? And then conversely, you know, will the Alabama defense confuse Stetson Bennett enough to sack him more? They had three sacks on him last game or produce more interceptions. They've had five and two games against him. So, you know, that's where the three-dimensional chess is at. And uh, to your point, the more they can get Bryce Young on the run and throwing the ball, um, I, I still think the better because I don't believe that George is going to have the breakdowns that they did the last time. I think they're going to simplify. I think with Mechie out, the Alabama pass offense isn't as dangerous. Um, I think they'll compensate some, but, you know, Mechie was a guy with 96 catches. I mean, imagine if Georgia lost Brock Bowers. You know, that's the extreme that Mechie meant to that pass offense. And, Jeff, you know, your bold prediction a moment ago was four sacks for Georgia on Monday. Sounds good to me as a UGA fan. I got to tell you, though, if it's – if it's less than three, I don't know that Georgia wins. So so it's a bold prediction and that it's a nice looking number, but much less than that. And I think you're talking about, you know, national runner up as opposed to national champion for UGA, unfortunately. Yeah. You know, guys, I, I feel like I've been on the road for forever. But when I've been on the road, I've been talking to a lot of football people, uh, a lot of football men, uh, coaches, guys that, you know, consult with a lot of these schools. And, you know, the one thing that, that came up through repeated kind of discussions was, uh, first of all, Chris Smith, a healthier Chris Smith, I think is going to be huge for maybe giving Georgia a little bit more coverage ability to where maybe those hurries turn into sacks because they'll be able to shadow guys, especially a healthier Chris Smith uh, a lot. But, you know, one of the things that was pointed out to me and I had to go back and watch, um, I had to go back and watch was that Georgia, after really a whole season long of just trying to beat the man in front of them, uh, on the defensive line. And I mean, you know, just kind of whip the man in front of you, just beat him. I, I thought that was very much the game plan. If you look at through Georgia's 12 games this year, 13 games this year, the first 12 games, that's what they did. But for Alabama, you saw a lot of exotics. You saw a lot of, you know, misdirections. You saw a lot of stems. You saw a lot of twists. You saw putting their guys on the move, slanting things, because that's where they thought they had to beat Alabama. And that's a really tough recipe. Number one, from a player perspective, you got guys that are doing something differently than they've done all along, and they've got to have buy-in on a kind of a different scheme where Georgia had so much movement up front. And I think you had a lot of busts because of that. I think Georgia, look what they did against Michigan. They didn't, they didn't need a lot of that stuff. Now, maybe that's because you do feel schematically you need to do those things to get home against Alabama. But it's about giving your players the chance to play fast and comfortable and confident and I think, I think that was what was different in that game that I hope will be different against uh, Alabama in the rematch. Connor, to bring it back to something you and I talked about on Tuesday along Jeff's point there a little bit is uh, I think we were in agreement that that pass rush got to come off the edge a little bit more this time. And, you know, you talk about Nolan Smith or Trayvon Walker, someone that would be coming off the edge, just simply winning more of those one-on-one -on -one battles. For me, that's about Bryce Young stepping into the pocket more and – you know, not allowing him to do the thing which he's comfortable with, which is obviously looking straight ahead at the blitzer and then just using his lateral quickness to move to the side, force him to step into a throw, see how he wants to handle that for 60 minutes. But but more pressure coming off the edge is something I think we talked about on Tuesday being crucial in this game. I want Bryce Young, you know, if the pressure's coming up the middle and he's able to bail to the outside, 
you know, that, that plays right into what Bryce Young wants to do in terms of being able to make off-platform throws or scramble downfield. That's why I think the one big thing with Georgia in this game, this has to be a more Devontae Wyatt or Jalen Carter game more so than a Jordan Davis game. You know, Jordan Davis is a phenomenal player, but with the way that Alabama wants to play and the way they want to throw the football, I believe, in this game, I, I think that dictates that you play more Jalen Carter, Devontae Wyatt. Maybe you slide Trayvon Walker inside more often early on to 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 help that pass rush there you know i i I know that alabama ran for 200 plus yards against cincinnati i I think a lot of that can be chalked up to just cincinnati's defensive line not being what georgia's defensive line is i'd be really surprised if alabama is able to find rushing success against this georgia front so you know they're gonna have to want to throw the ball they're gonna want to move bryce young bryce young's gonna need to be their superman once again to win this game and so if you're able to come from pressure on the outside and force Young to step up, I think that's going to play in your advantage there. All right, let me give you my bold prediction here for a moment. I kind of gave this to our audience at the end of the video show today. First of all, I believe that Georgia's going to win. And when it does, here's what I think is going to happen. The post-game hand take. Um, <laughs> feel free to answer that so I can, feel free to answer that so I can move on to the show. In the post-game handshake, Nick Saban, is going to pull Kirby Smart close. He's going to give him a big old handshake and a big old hug. And then in the post-game press conference, Nick Saban will speak glowingly about Kirby Smart. And he is going to, in light of the potential fear of the old man ran off the national stage by the young lion, he is going to try to reestablish himself as the mentor, Smart as his protege, He's going to talk all about how proud he is for Kirby Smart and all the things that he taught Kirby Smart over the years. In in short, simple language, Nick Saban is going to try to take some credit for Georgia's national championship on Monday by trying to cast the narrative that he taught Kirby Smart everything that he knows. Hear me now, believe me later, this is going to play out on Monday night if and when Georgia wins, that, Kirby, that Nick Saban's going to try to recast himself as someone who's a mentor to Kirby Smart when deep down we know Nick Saban doesn't like Kirby Smart very much. That is my bold prediction. Watch when that happens as uh, Nick Saban tries to uh, hop on the narrative here and bandwagon jump. Connor, you're giving me a thumbs down, but you know this is what's going to happen. Bold prediction that has no bearing on the outcome of the game. We need bold predictions for this game. We're not talking about what what is said or what happens after the fact. There's no, first of all, there's no parameter on a bold prediction. And if anything, I'm giving you the most specific bold prediction of all. I'm describing in matter of fact detail exactly how it's going to play out. Mike, tell Connor I'm right about this. uh, I'm going to defer. This is a tough one, B.A., because uh, I I, I can kind of see where this is going. You know, one of my predictions is that at some point during the game, Brandon is going to tell me, to stop talking about Georgia winning because every time they get a lead and I start talking about Georgia winning, Brandon will say, please don't. And in this time, Brandon, I'm going to pledge to you that I will not jinx Georgia if they get a lead and I will not mention them winning in the press box. Yeah. Very, very frequently Mike and I are sitting together in, in, in the press box and listen, I am very dignified in the press box. I, I I sit there with the rest of the coastal elites and I act like mm-hmm. a professional in the press box, but obviously I have an emotional interest in the game that the typical, you know, uh, sports writer who's obsessed with semicolons that, that, you know, he doesn't quite have. So, um, yeah, when Mike starts, first of all, listen, I love him. I'm, I'm saying this to his face right now. He's got a hot take after every single play. I mean, after every single play, he's got just a quake take scorcher to give you. That becomes a lot to deal with. And then it's, you know, if something bad happens, then, you know, everything's over. It, Georgia gets a three-point lead. Ah, oh, go ahead and, you know, get the champagne on ice. This game is over with. And, like, for someone like me who's been living with this for 40 years, that is a lot to deal with. So, Mike, I'm going to actually hold you to this because I'm assuming we will be sitting side by side with each other, that you will not be popping champagne corks on Georgia's behalf at halftime here, just given the recent history between these two teams for nothing else. I've learned my lesson, Brandon. I've learned my lesson. On a more serious note, by the way, G. Grace Bamba Boy in the comment section, he's a Bama fan, of course, he says that I'm wrong, that, that Nick Saban treats Kirby Smart as if he was his son. Jeff Sintel, there is no way that's true. Nick Saban does not like Kirby Smart. Nick Saban uh, subtweets Kirby all the time. I'm, I'm telling you right now, Nick Saban does not like Kirby Smart. There, there's not a part of him that likes Kirby Smart because uh, Kirby Smart makes him nervous. 
Nick Saban, all this praise that he's always doing of like Lane Kiffin and all these other assistants that he's had, um, uh, you know, all of that is a subtweet of Kirby Smart, the one guy who knows who really does you know, threaten his dynasty. That's the that's the way that 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 Nick truly feels about Kirby, and he doesn't like him because of that. Because Kirby's got the one thing that uh, Nick Saban can never regain, which is youth and vitality. <laughs> so. Oh my gosh, youth and vitality too, man. You're not going to talk about the uh, the type of hair What's polish right or anything. Else? The he type talks of about hair the, polish. Oh wow! Obsessed with semicolons. He's got a deeper, you know, dictionary and syntax than anybody. <laughs> I mean, he, he's right up there with the coastal elites. He tries to pretend he's not. Listen, you sit by enough of these coastal elites, some of that's going to rub off. Of you. That fancy talk's going to rub off of you, uh, eventually, every now and then. But bottom line, Jeff, do you think that Nick Saban likes Kirby Smart? Fancy talk. Well, first of all, you got me thinking, you know, does, does Nick Saban have a burner account on Twitter that we don't know about? I mean, I know you're speaking with subtweets and you're speaking you're speaking figuratively and not literally there, but um, I'm who does he like? Can you tell me who, who he actually he likes? likes Lane Kiffin. He likes Lane oh. Kiffin because Lane Kiffin's is subservient to him. I mean, I mean he like he likes Lane Kiffin because Lane Kiffin's his lap dog. Uh, that's the only former assistant he really likes. He doesn't like Jimbo, he doesn't like uh he doesn't like uh Kirby. These are former assistants that are actual threat to him. He doesn't like them. If anything, Brennan, I think I think uh, Nick Saban doesn't like the football team and program that Kirby's assembling more so than Kirby himself. Uh, I'm I, I'm still stunned we didn't get a bold prediction from one of you guys. Maybe it's that gentleman up there right above me uh, that I was expecting him to boldly predict that Georgia, due to an injury or what have you, not they have to come off the the deck with their backup quarterback in the second half, and he rallies them to a championship, much like the Saban script of years gone by. Well, hold on. Realistic one, before uh, we get to that, realistic one says it's the first time they've heard me just speculate and not use evidence here. But there is plenty of circumstantial evidence on this, and I don't want to get too deep in the weeds on this, but Nick Saban acted as a source for an ESPN.com story earlier this year about how great Lane Kiffin is. Uh, like Kirby Smart would not act as a source for an ESPN story about Sam Pittman, one of his former assistants. That's just not what you do. But Nick Saban's more than happy to do that because I think he wants to shine the spotlight on guys like that and away from guys like Kirby Smart. But that's too deep in the weeds. Nonetheless, uh, what did you want Mike to respond to, Jeff? I'm sorry. Say it again. No, I'm, I'm, I'm still just I'm, the coastal elite conspiracy theory you got going there. I mean, I think there's going to be an Oliver Stone movie about it shortly, Brandon. I'm waiting. No, on it. It, it's, this is really not that big of a conspiracy. It's fairly obvious based on years worth of circumstantial evidence that uh, that Nick Saban is not like Kirby Smart. Heck, you're talking about conspiracy theories. It's the Alabama fans are always talking about Kirby Smart stealing the recruiting board or whatever it was they're accusing him of doing. I mean, it's the Alabama fans, the ones that started this. So there you go. Uh, by the way, before the show began, Connor Riley brought up uh, who's got the most legacy at stake in, in a game like this. Let me kind of transition that topic by saying this. I don't think there's any doubt in my mind that the person who has the most legacy at stake in a game like this is actually Nick Saban himself, and I'll tell you why. If Kirby Smart doesn't win now, he's got, God willing, good health, you know, good personal decisions. He's got two more decades of potential coaching opportunities to win championships. And that's not supposed to make a Georgia fan feel better about this loss on Monday, but there are a lot more potential bites of the apple coming up in Smart's career. However, once Saban loses the cachet that he currently has right now, you can never go back and get that back again. This notion that he's somehow impenetrable for these former assistants. And yes, Jimbo Fisher became the first former assistant to beat him earlier this year, but on a national stage like this to have, sure enough, a former protege like this build the kind of team in very short order, by the way. Smart's only been a head coach since 2016. Compare the first six years of his head coaching career to the first six years of Nick Saban's coaching career. I think it tells the story of how successful that Smart has been. Connor, if you're talking about Nick Saban losing to his former lieutenant so quickly into Smart's tenure as a, um, as a head coach, I think that's the kind of thing that doesn't tarnish the Nick Saban resume, still the greatest coach of all time. But it certainly adds a, an addendum to that that doesn't currently exist. You know, for me, there are two obvious names that stick out here. But one of them is, in fact, Nick Saban, because let's say they do win uh, on Monday. Certainly not out of the realm of possibility. I think they have the two best players in the game and they have the best coach in the game. What's the one thing that really ha we've never seen done at, at an NFL level or at a college level? That's a three-peat. 
regardless of what Georgia does, if they win on Monday, uh, you know, it'll be a great celebration. Alabama is going to be the number one team in the country to start next season. They're going to be the favorites to win the national champ- championship. And so exists the possibility here for Nick Saban and for this team, a young Alabama team, something Jeff has brought up time and time again. The best players on this team are freshmen and sophomores. If you win, if, if you're Nick Saban on Monday and you win, you're looking at the possibility of a three-peat, which puts you in the all-time, all-time pantheon. You think of those great Bulls teams, um, you know, those early Lakers teams, a, a true transcendent dynasty across sports that exists for Nick Saban here the other big legacy guy I actually don't think it's Kirby smart in this game I think this year has shown that Kirby has the proof of concept to say hey George is going to be here for a while and we just need to get one or two breaks to get us that national championship the guy who has so much on the line here is Stetson Bennett a guy who just played the best game of his college career uh, 313 passing yards three touchdowns no turnovers I think most importantly against Michigan and a guy who's really taken in the teeth this year in terms of the criticism of him, his stature, his name, sort of everything that he represents, which ironically does run counter to what Kirby Smart has built here at Georgia. And with a win here on Monday night, all the talk about him not beating Alabama is gone. Everything disappears. He becomes the quarterback that led Georgia to a national championship. Fair or not, whether or not the defense mostly got them there that way. And so for everything that Stetson Bennett has been through, a win on Monday, I think, I at least hope, would change all the tone around Stetson Bennett. And I would sincerely hope that he is appreciated for all that he has done, regardless of whether or not they win or lose. But a win on Monday makes it even sweeter for Bennett. I, I agree with a lot of what you're saying there. Uh, Connor, Mike, who do you think has the most legacy at stake in a game like this? I think it's Kirby Smart. Um, you know, Kirby's got the team. Um, Kirby's got all the pieces. He's He's got two capable quarterbacks. He's got seven deep on the offensive line. He's got a benched five-star left tackle that pass blocks as good as anybody in the country. Uh, he's got four running backs to choose from. Um, he's got six receivers. He's got two dynamic tight ends, one that runs great routes like George Kittle, another one that's 6'7", 285. He's even got a veteran like John Fitzpatrick. He's got five first or second round players in the front seven. He's got the cornerback that was rated number one in the country in the 2020 class in his second year. Uh, he's got a guy that's played in a national championship game and beat Alabama at the other corner. Uh, he's got a guy in Lewis Seen that's a you know second, third-year starter, and he's got a healthy Christopher Smith, uh, who's a fifth-year player. Uh, what more does Kirby Smart need, guys, to win this football game? It, it, Georgia has everything they could possibly want. He's got facilities in six years. He's got the highest recruiting budget in the nation. I'd say he has the best recruiting writers in the country. Jeff uh, Sentel, by the way, with a really good Stetson Bennett picture that's on dognation.com if you want to take a look at that. Uh, I just don't know when Kirby Smart is going to have more pieces in place and play an Alabama team that's reloading to the extent of just having lost six first-round picks. It, It doesn't ever get any better than this for Georgia to win a national championship. And if Kirby doesn't do that, then the all-in is no longer all-in. As Centel has told us, the portal will be busy, win, lose, or draw. The quarterback questions, completely unsettled. I, we ought to start, you know, picking numbers, like guessing babies' weights, trying to figure out who the quarterback. We don't even know who's coming back next year out of this room. So I think everything is on the line. I think the model has changed. I think there's big questions for Georgia football ahead. Because now it's a matter of NIL. I don't know who the corporate sponsors are. I I see Aaron Murray trying to hustle some money up on the side for some players' lounge. You need to have some corporate sponsorship to bring the heat and get these players. I'm told Texas A&M spent $31 million on this portal. You know, does Georgia have that money somewhere? So, yes. No, Kirby's not going to go away if he doesn't win, B.A., but he's got, he, he needs this win for his legacy or he turns into the Buffalo Bills of college football with five losses in a row to Nick Saban. Listen, I'm going to have to call you on this, though, because in the offseason, when I was mocking all the national media members who were saying championship or bust, saying that's ridiculous, I remember I feel like you being right there with me saying, yes, that's ridiculous to say championship or bust. But now, Mike, you sort of sound like you're doing the whole – championship or bust thing that we kind of made fun of the national media for doing during the offseason. Now, you got to be careful here. 
that a lot of what you're saying sort of sounds like now or never. When I heard you a lot this offseason, echoing what I was saying, of no, it's not now or never for Kirby Smart. Um, seems like you've changed your tune from where you were earlier this year, and I just, I just got to call you out on that. No, you're changing the question. Um, you didn't ask if it was now or never. You said whose legacy is on the line, and that's a different No, but, the, but hold on now. The way you just described that certainly made it sound like if you don't do it now, I mean, I, I just I feel like you're coming across as a little bit fatalistic here. I mean, uh, in, in terms of what happens if, if Georgia doesn't win. I, I feel like you're describing this in sort of fatalistic terms the way that one would if they were saying now or never, uh, championship or bust. No, I'm saying that Georgia has a lot on the line because the landscape's changed and Kirby Smart needs to have momentum to continue to get these number one, number two, and number three classes because it's no longer about your recruiting budget and where your jet can fly or how many assistants you've hired. It's about how much money can you pay the players. And Texas A&M and Texas and Ohio State and Michigan and even Tennessee have deeper pocketed boosters. Georgia's done a nice job of collecting money from a lot of different people, but they don't have those major donors that are dropping dimes. Peyton Manning's got his name all over Neyland Stadium, and he's given tens of millions of dollars, and you're getting a wave and a chuckle from Matt Stafford here. Georgia's got to come up with some bucks, man, if they want to continue to secure great talent through the portal and not only secure the great talent, because newsflash, Pickens will come back if Georgia pays them enough money. But who's going to pony up and pay George Pickens a million bucks to play another year at Georgia? Is there anyone out there raising their hand? I haven't heard of I'm not paying a wide receiver a million dollars. I'm, I'm, I'm not well, paying a not, not? not my own money. Not my own. Five hundred thousand. I mean, what's what have they been paying recruits? Four hundred, five hundred thousand, six hundred thousand. What did Ezekiel Elliott go for back in the day? Let's just put it out there, man. These recruits have been getting hundreds of thousands of dollars. Ba, oh, you've got to or come on. If you've got a proven guy, you think Jordan Davis came back for the fun of it? I mean, these recruit NIL deals are real. It's all above board. George has got to come to the play, Brandon. Okay. First of all. I don't really know what you're talking about. You know, the whole idea of like $31 million. I, I just don't, I just don't know what you're talking about. Um, so I, I don't even know how even how to respond to that. Uh, NIL, uh, NIL money, NIL deals that are flying. So, so, oh, okay. That, that, that's fine. Uh, Jeff, what's your response to all this? Uh, you want me to respond to that back and forth tennis matchup there or my response <laughs> to the question? Because I, I guess Legacy I got game. both chambers. I, I guess I got both chambers. You know what? Here's the thing. I, I think I said this on the air. If I didn't, I, I know I said it to BA as we were walking out of Mercedes-Benz Stadium again after another Alabama win. And I said I, I've reached the point where I don't think Georgia will ever beat Alabama unless they have the better quarterback and a better or more optimal defense. Well, you know, folks, nothing has changed here. So the only way it's going to change for a lot of folks that are joining us tonight uh, to see a different result in the rematch is I think Georgia's got to find a way to subdue and put Bryce Young on the ground over and over and over again. So this is where I'm going with my legacy game. I think I looked to this. Remember, I was preaching from the pulpit of NFL players, your most talented player. To me, that's N'Kobe Dean. I think N'Kobe Dean has the chance to, to have a statuesque type game here as a Georgia Bulldog because he's the leader of that team. He's the leader of that defense. He's the guy that I saw through my 400-millimeter telephoto lens that was fingernail clips sometimes away from getting home against Bryce Young. And I think I remember his recruiting well. I remember his mom, uh, Niketa, such a wonderful lady, such a nice lady. She was like, you know, Jeff, we realized that we have to drive past Tuscaloosa to get to Athens. And we had to figure out a way where if if we're going to go to Georgia, we got to get more from Georgia. Obviously, the education there works, but more from Georgia in terms of the, the moments on the field. And I think the way you do that is you have the most talented player, the best player on Georgia's defense, the guy that's going to be drafted highest by the NFL among the top 10 picks. I think if N'Kobe Dean has that type of game where they control and turn Bryce Young's game into simply an all-SEC type quarterback game instead of a Heisman Trophy type game, was which, remember, folks, he was a Houdini and a miracle worker in that game. Remember that video where everybody caught some lip reading about how it's too easy or something like that or they can't check me or whatever? I think the Georgia defense took that personally. I think they will take that personally. And I think the way everybody keeps comparing Roquan and N'Kobe, I think N'Kobe can come one, become one of the all-time great Georgia football players with a spectacular performance on Monday night. So everybody's having a good time with Mike's rant in the comment section, but 
like what recruit is Georgia not getting that they that they want to get? I mean, there's always going to be some clout that can be chased by sky is falling and everything's a disaster and Georgia's about to lose a thousand players to the transfer portal. There's always going to be something there, but I don't know if you've noticed this or not. Georgia did pretty well in the uh, in the 2022 class, despite whatever you know NIL thing that uh, that you're going to accuse you know Texas A&M of, of, of doing here. I, I just I have a hard time believing that Georgia's like one loss away from the sky falling here. That's a that's a little bit of a hard thing for me to buy into a little bit. That's your words. I've never said that. We just talked about legacy, and I said that Kirby Smart needs a national championship to maintain the momentum. I didn't say the sky would fall. I don't think Georgia's going to fall below a 10-win team. But if I look at what's happening at Tennessee and Florida and the hires they've made, and I look at What's the happening in Tennessee? I don't know. You might have missed it. They they won a few games this year after coming off probation and have losing 38 guys. They had the highest rated passer in the league, and he's coming back. And of course, they got dragged around by the face by Georgia. They, they did. And Georgia's going to lose about nine of those guys off to the NFL draft off the defense. I still think Georgia's going to win the East next year, Brandon, and I still think Georgia's going to be a contender. But Georgia's going to have 12 or 13 guys drafted off this year's team, and it's unfortunate you can't keep a guy like Trayvon Walker around or N'Kobe Dean around, but these are first-round picks. To me, it's the guys that you can keep that are going to be important. I think George Pickens would be worth investing money into if you could get him to come back for another year for a quarter of a million dollars. I think you do need well, the to – price recoup. keeps going down now because three minutes ago it was a million. Now we're down to well, it could be a million. If you keep going down, you may get to a price that maybe one of these businesses wants to get involved with. Are you are you trying to pick? Are you trying to say, Brandon, that 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 money's not involved in players returning for another year? Or you keep changing the question? I mean, yes, first you asked me who the legacy was. Now you're trying to say that I'm saying the sky's falling. I'm not saying that at all. All I'm saying is this game is important to Kirby Smart's legacy. If he wins a national championship, he'll have a lot more momentum than if he doesn't. And that nowadays you get what you pay for, whether we're talking about college football or college basketball. They're driving Porsches up there at Kentucky if you play basketball. And down here, the ten, the, the, the Georgia basketball players can't get a used pinno. So, I mean, it's where you put your money. It's where you put your priority. And Georgia football has to figure out a way to compete with the Texas oil money. This is really happening at A&M, Brandon. That, that's very real. That $30 million of NIL money, that's a real thing. Jimbo Fisher doesn't mind telling you. And the resources there are unbelievable. And Alabama's been doing it for years. So just so I'm that's clear, just so, just so I can understand here, you think that Georgia needs to be afraid of Texas A&M? I don't think they need to be afraid of Texas A&M, but you're recruiting against them. You lost, you, you lost a great receiver to Missouri, and it wasn't just because he likes the Tigers' uniforms better. You know, you've lost players to A&M. Uh, they've, they've become a threat. We saw Florida come in and scoop up a guy that I thought. What player was, did Georgia lose Texas We did a live interview, for goodness sakes, of a guy committing to, what was it, Florida? I mean, the, things are happening. The, 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 the ground is shifting and money, money is a factor. And I think Georgia, So you're seeing problems in Georgia's recruiting then? No, you're, you're saying that. I'm saying that there's other I'm trying to figure out what it is that you're saying. See, see, this is the thing. It's like it's all this like scary language on the one side, but then when I try to get some clarification on it, it's sort of backing off on that. The clarification the one that clarification is that on. Kirby Smart's legacy is on the line because he has a national championship game. It's the fifth time he's played Saban. He's 0-4 against him. If he goes 0-5 against Nick Saban, yes, that will hurt him. They won't have the same momentum as if they win. This is really simple. If Georgia wins, Brandon, good news. If they lose, not as good news. Well, I certainly agree with that. Hey, 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 Brandon, let me jump in here because this is a subject that I should have a whole lot of institutional knowledge about. Georgia will never have a problem getting the right players to win championships in Athens. Point blank, period. This guys that are coming in here right now, two or three years from now, they're going to be playing for a national title, and they will be better than this bunch that is right here going to play for one on Monday. Point blank, period. Georgia will never have problems getting players in Athens. It'll be quarterbacks. It'll be coordinators. It'll be play calling. It'll be all that. It will never be a problem about the players as long as Kirby Smart is the head coach. Connor, what do you think? You know, back to the legacy talk here. I, you know, I agree with uh, Jeff's point on the Kobe Dean there. I think he's got a spot on the Mount Rushmore at Georgia. Um, you know, yes, obviously this game means a lot to Kirby Smart. Anytime you're in a national championship game, it means a lot. And, and you can look at Ed Ogeron how quickly, or even to say a Dabo Sweeney, of how quickly, you know, you're in these situations and then you blink, you make one bad quarterback evaluation, 
your staff's rated and, you know, you're, you're trending in a different direction. So, yeah, obviously this game means a lot to Kirby Smart, but at the same point in time, you know, they're going to continue to recruit well. They, they had their worst year under Kirby Smart since he really got things rolling last year, going 8-2, and two, losing in embarrassing fashion to Florida and Alabama. And then they respond with, I think, what was the best team of Kirby Smart's time here at Georgia. So, again, you know, Kirby Smart, again, and the biggest thing this year that he has proven to me is that he has the proof of concept that Georgia's 2017 run wasn't a fluke. That this is a team, regardless of the pieces, the names and faces are going to change. But so long as Kirby Smart is still in Athens, they're going to be one of the premier teams in college football, whether they do it with a star-studded defensive front or they have a great secondary. Sometimes they'll have a great quarterback. Other years they'll be able to rely on their running backs there. Kirby Smart this year has shown that he's going to have proof of concept. And so, yes, winning on Monday is obviously going to mean a great deal to him. But he's not falling off a cliff, so to speak, if he loses on 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 uh, on Monday night. What? Jimbo Fisher lost his first five times against Kirby Smart. What happened in the sixth time they played? He won. So, you know, again, I, I see some of the points that Mike is making there. But on the other hand, crying poor with Georgia just doesn't make sense to me. They just spent $170 million dollars on facilities here in recent years. You know, money is flush at the University of Georgia. And I guess my only final point is, and then I do want to get to another topic before we leave, is things have never been better at Georgia than they are right now. Not in any kind of modern age that I've been alive to remember. That's on the field, it's in recruiting, and it's everything else. And and yes, there are all kinds of things going on in college ball right now, but but Georgia is in the midst of navigating all of that just fine. And yeah, you hear about, well, I heard so-and-so got this, and I heard so-and-so got that. Frankly, I haven't seen any really, truly substantive reporting on any of this yet. There's all kinds of motivation by players' parents, players' street agent, uh, you know, guy who just wants to sound like a big shot booster. There's all kinds of motivation for people to say all kinds of stuff. But you know what? Nobody ever really goes back to verify to find out, was that really true, or is it just this some loud mouth shooting off his mouth? point is, whether it be the fact that Georgia's playing in a national championship game, the fact that Georgia is in the midst of putting together elite recruiting class one right after the other, it'd be nice just for all of us just to be able to enjoy that without somebody always having to try to stir the pot about what scary thing lurks right behind the corner. Will Georgia have a player transfer or two or 10 at the end of this season? Probably so. There's an average of 11 per team in the transfer portal right now. But guess what? I'm not scared of it, whether Georgia wins or loses. Georgia's going to be set up for success next year and in 2023 and in 2024 and until the foreseeable future. And that's my only point here is there is nothing right now for Georgia to be scared of. No matter how much the landscapes change around college football, I don't know if you've noticed it, but Georgia both on the field and in recruiting is handling it all pretty well. They really are. And it's amazing that what Kirby's done in six years, uh, like I said, the facilities are top level. Uh, the coaching staff, uh, unfortunately, Dan Lanning's moving on. I think he's a pretty key piece, but I feel good about Glenn Schumann being there. So I feel like the staff is in place. Uh, I think you return a, an incredible offensive line. Um, depending on which quarterbacks stick around, you could have some very good receivers coming back. You're certainly loaded at running back. Uh, Brandon, I'm not suggesting that Georgia football is going away. What I'm telling you is that the game is changing with NIL and it, it, you know, it used to be facilities, coaching staff, being willing to invest in recruiting and, and staff members and assistants. And Georgia did all that. But the game is changing now with the NIL and the transfer portal. I think Georgia is well equipped to handle the portal. I think Kirby does a great job with evaluation. It's clearly a popular destination for quarterbacks. I think people realize that Kirby and Georgia have put a lot of guys in the league. All I'm saying and pointing out is that a, a national, while a national championship win to me seals Kirby Smart's legacy, makes it that much easier, you know, to take the the Georgia deal, even if this other place might be willing to pay you a little bit more. I think another loss to Nick Saban would make some people wonder, geez, uh, you know, can Kirby Smart ever get by this guy? And, and I don't want to see that happen. I still think Georgia would be a 10-11 win team. I still think Georgia will win the East the next two years. So I don't think the window's over. But I do think this year Georgia is loaded. I think we saw a great football season. Uh, I think Alabama did a nice job coaching them up in the SEC title game. And Georgia might have gotten softened up a little bit playing the cream pups 
from Charleston Southern and the Atlanta team that didn't do them any favors because it was such a low level of football. It was almost like scrimmages while Bama was playing these sense of urgency games. Uh, so I, I think that this is an important game for Georgia. That's the bottom line. I don't think they're going away. I think it's a great program. All I'm pointing out is that there's other programs that are emerging that are in better position than Georgia. Texas A&M has a lot of money. So does Texas. That doesn't mean they're going to use it and be right there next year. But with that oil money, man, those resources, believe me, that's going to make a difference. It's like it's like a salary cap versus, a, a, what is it, Major League Baseball that doesn't have the salary cap, and the Yankees can go out and buy all this talent versus a Milwaukee Brewers. Now, Georgia's not the Milwaukee Brewers, but they're not the Yankees of college football either. They're in the upper 25%, but they're not in the upper 2%. All I look forward to, all I'll say is I look forward to reading a substantive new story from you that lays out in specific detail exactly what A&M spending, exactly who they're spending on, exactly what they're getting for that, and by comparison, specific facts about what Georgia's not doing as opposed to whatever this innuendo is. I'll look forward to reading a specific sourced new story on you from that because that certainly will shed some light into this conversation. But um, on the uh, – you got to shift gears and move on to something else. Mike, I'll stay with you here for a moment. What's one, this will be our last topic. What's one thing for Monday that we're not talking enough about going into that game? Um, well, let me just, let me just reference something, Brandon, you asked me for this. So I want to, I want to bring it to you. There's a published report uh, right here that I'm looking at the Texas 2022 recruiting class uh, is set to cost the school's boosters upwards of $30 million and deals for the NIL when they uh, when they enroll. So that that's a published report that's out there, and it's perfectly legal. And I'll send you that link tonight so you can catch up with that. Um, the thing that we're not talking about Monday. So now we're on Texas. We're Texas A&M logo. Now we're on Texas. But but either way, go ahead. No, no, that's Texas A&M. Texas A&M. I'll I'll send you the link. Um, no, I think the thing we're not talking enough about on Monday night are intangibles. You know, I think special teams momentum. You know, when when I asked Kirby. Uh, about this game, he said that the last, I guess, four meetings have all been momentum games. And I think we remember seeing Georgia leading in the first half of these games uh, in the first quarter most recently, and then Alabama kind of getting the momentum. And I think the defenses for both teams are going to do a better job. I think that uh, Georgia's defense is going to be playing fast, free, and easy. And without Mechie out there, they're going to be able to zero in on Jameson Williams and make things really difficult. Conversely, uh, I think that the Alabama defense has an idea how they want to defend Stetson. And so I think special teams are probably more important than ever because I think some dynamic plays on special teams could turn the game around. Obviously, um, you know, they have before in championship level performances. So I think that intangible of special teams is something that we should probably keep an eye on. Jeff, what do you think? What's something no one's talking about enough in this game? Too much uh, Stetson can or cannot. Uh, too much Kirby versus Saban. Not enough. Georgia has the better team on both fronts. Uh, and Georgia also has, like we've referenced a lot of times, uh, Georgia has the more experienced, veteran-laden team with a lot of guys on both fronts. I think those are the things that, I, to my, in my mind, that uh, stick out. And it's we've been covering football a long time, all of us folks here, and usually the team that's better up front on both sides of the ball usually wins these games. Connor, how about for you? You know, it's really taken over the sport right now with how much they've done this year. And all seriousness, I think Jet uh, leeching off of Jeff's last point there, Jamari Sawyer versus Will Anderson. I think it's going to be an interesting matchup. Jamari's much healthier this time around. Georgia offensive line did a great job against Aiden Hutchinson and David Ajabo. Can they do that again against Will Anderson, who, quite frankly, I think is a better player than either Hutchinson or Ajabo is? I think that'll certainly be something to watch. And then the other big thing that I've harped on time and time again, red zone. And, and you want to lump third down in there as well. Georgia 3 of 12 the first time around. Georgia needs to execute. Against Michigan, they did a great job of getting into third and shorts the first half there. Six of eight on third downs. All six conversions were third or less. They converted all six. The two that weren't, they didn't convert. And I'd point out one thing to watch there in that game against Michigan, 22 first-half pass attempts from Georgia in that game. Look for them to be aggressive throwing the ball early, setting up third and short that way rather than trying to run on Alabama. Yeah, so it certainly should be interesting to see. Uh, Going to be a, uh, a fun matchup all the way around. Plenty of uh, Dog Nation coverage coming up over the course of the next few days on our way to Indianapolis 
Uh, looking forward to a lot of fun there for a great game between Georgia and Alabama coming up on Monday night as Georgia tries to get that elusive national championship, something it's waiting uh, over the course of the last 40 years to be able to get. So great stuff all the way around. Thanks for being here on Cover 4 Live. Uh, Dog Nation Daily back tomorrow. Big coverage, as I said, throughout the weekend, dognation.com in Indianapolis, in Athens before the team heads that way. Big night on Monday against the Alabama Crimson Tide. We'll look forward to talking to you more about that in the days to come. And thank you for being with us here on Cover 4 Live.